I was staring in the void. I was shocked. So uh, at some point, my manager wanted to reassure me. I mean, he had good intention. He was delivering the message as uh, imperfectly as he could. And then at some point, I said, like, look, I, I just need to process. I, we don't have to talk anymore. I, I just need some time for myself. I was like, all emotions coming up. I, I just started to cry. I had to process. And I was thinking all the scenarios in my head already, like, okay, who are the names? Hey all, quick heads up that this podcast is part one of a two-part podcast. In part one, Sophie Vo walks us through her experience being a leader while layoffs were happening at her company. In part two, to be released later, we have a larger discussion about her decision, spar a little bit, and talk about ways to handle layoffs. Specific names have been deliberately removed. Sophie described wanting to share her personal experience in the hopes it will be helpful to others. For me, she succeeded. Enjoy the episodes. Welcome back, everybody, to Building Better Games. It's hard to imagine a more scary scenario for a leader than one that involves layoffs. While having its roots in a business decision, the impact of layoffs is devastating for those involved and affects the real lives of real people. It can often feel like a doomsday scenario. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed to lay off or fire somebody? Has your company recently gone through layoffs and the way it was handled made you feel guilty or ashamed? Have you seen trust be harmed in real time as leaders have navigated the difficult task of cutting costs and letting people go? Have you ever wondered what you'd do if you were confronted with this very difficult problem or how you could solve your way through it in a way that you are proud of? It's so easy to get caught up in discussing leadership in the abstract, forgetting that real people get caught up in these decisions, and there is a way to show up as a leader and honor building better games in a completely different way, by doing the right thing. Today, we're super fortunate to have Sophie Vo join us. Sophie is a veteran leader and investor in the games industry, creating a new human-centric approach to teams and games along the way. She calls this approach conscious leadership. Sophie also hosts the Rise and Play podcast, focused on industry leaders who stand out in their approach. Sophie and her team recently went through a difficult scenario just like this, and she handled it in a way that we're excited to talk to her more about, one where she managed to follow her conviction. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Ben. Very uh, also honored to be part of your podcast. I've been listening to, uh, you know, I discovered uh, you through uh, jo Joachim, who was a guest. And then I was like, wow, how, how come I did not know about this podcast I should have known earlier? And, you know, we had kind of a starting from the same point, of course, with our own personal approach. I know you have strong and uh, experience-based opinions on all these things. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's going to be really awesome to hear your take. Yeah, thanks. So. I'm also looking forward to uh, not only, you know, uh, answering here questions, but sparring on those topics, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah let's see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. So like really quickly, because um, you told me some of the story before we got a chance to come together formally, but I swear, I feel like every couple of days now on LinkedIn, I see like people are reporting layoffs now. And it's, I hope that it doesn't get any worse than it has been, but it already seems to be pretty rough out there right now. You just went through a pretty big experience like this. Do you want to like talk us through like how that went for you, mm -hmm. especially since you were in a senior leadership position? You mentioned, you know, just uh, before we get into the topic about how visible it has been on LinkedIn with a layoff. Mm -hmm. I think something to acknowledge where the ones where companies have owned 
the layoff and we have communicated about it and so people could communicate openly about it. And there are many companies who are doing the silent layoff where it hasn't been uh, mm. publicly shared. Ah. So uh, I suspect there's much more. And, oh, wow. But to discuss it more as well, because here the point is not to share it publicly for the name of a company, but I'm sharing it here as my personal experience because it happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in conversation like this one today, no more question asking, how did you leave your previous yeah. company? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sharing the story, right? So uh, yeah. whether I share it or whether I don't share it, this uh, will look suspicious. So here in my intention of sharing, it's more my personal story, how it happened and how I handled it. So um, for the context, it's been uh, three months uh, now, almost four months. And uh, it's even hard for me to uh, talk about it uh, still a few months after because when I joined three years ago, I was really excited about the company, the vision of the founders. It was the promise of uh, this new growing uh, company, uh, growing really fast. I liked the narrative and I wanted to help the founders. So for the context, when I joined three years ago, it was a hyper-casual company and they wanted to venture to casual games. So broader games, not only hyper-casual and monetization based on IAP, long-term retention, which is the experience I have. And I was really also excited of uh, building this new team uh, based on the principles that I've always believed in leadership, trying, experiment, and uh, yeah, trying to crack on how we could create casual games, uh, learning from the mindset of a hyper-casual company that is very, you know, hacker mindset. How could we do this more efficiently, maybe uh, automated way? So I learned a lot. We learned a lot with the studio. So it was a very nice journey the past three years, very tough. But I was happy of how I hired. I shared a lot with in my masterclass and uh, on Rise and Play. And I really loved the team I was working uh, with. And I felt we were ready to tackle all the challenges, <laughs> like the tougher. Even sometimes we had really hard challenges from the management, but we were all in this together and we would try to solve it. So in June, when I had a, a call and evening, it was uh, not even during uh, uh, the working day. I could see there was a meeting that was added by my manager a bit uh, spontaneously during the week with no agenda. And I was like, mm, this looks weird. <laughs> so then I, I wrote to my manager, I sense there's something important to discuss and I would like to have a heads up because I, I don't want to think about it a few days before this meeting happens. So, and I sense that may be related to team uh, size. Uh, so if it's about this, I would appreciate a heads up. And then he wrote back to me like, let's, uh, I call you this evening. He's like, oh, okay. And, and I was flying actually between city at, at the time, I was uh, on my flight, like taking my flight from Berlin to Paris. I was attending a conference as a speaker. And so when I landed, uh, had a call with my manager and uh, we had, I don't know, 30 minute conversation. I said, like, okay, I'm go just going to deliver the news. Um, we have, uh, we have to downsize teams. Uh, I don't know. It was a surprise. I didn't expect it would happen now. So it was a news for me. It's like, we have to cut. It's not looking good. Uh, and your team is affected like other teams and you have to reduce almost by half your team. So it was a call on a Wednesday evening uh, and uh, say like you, by Monday, those people are gone. <laughs> so I had two days to come up with names. And I knew that by Monday, so I was even thinking, how am I going to deliver the news in such a short time to the people when they will find out as well on Monday that they are no more and no more. And, 
And the team was already created uh, since uh, three years we've been working together. So it's not like I had uh, people that I didn't really want in the team and that I would take this opportunity to dismiss them. I, it was not at all the, the situation. It was everyone, they deserve to stay. And it, no matter who I would choose, it would have been uh, unfair. I'm really curious. You hang up the phone. Like, what's going through your mind? Like, I'm feeling empathy right now because I imagine, like, immediately after that phone call, it's just like, uh, like, there's all kinds of things happening in your head. Like, what was that moment like for you? Yeah, so um, it is, it was one of the, I have to say, most traumatizing uh, event of uh, this year for me. It's not the end of the year yet, and I hope I won't have something uh, <laughs> to that oh, level. Man. Still time. <laughs> but... Uh, I was just in my uh, like uh, flat in Paris and I had to give a conference talk that I didn't even prepare the, the talk I was planning to do it that evening. And I was, okay, I have a deadline tomorrow and it was an the important talk. talk. Oh, the talk was the next morning. Yeah, like the, in the evening and I have a working day. Oh, man. And so it was about diversity, inclusion, something very important for me. And I, I was planning to prepare it. And then suddenly I had this unexpected event. So... I was staring uh, in the void. I was shocked. Mm. So uh, at some point, my manager wanted to reassure me. I mean, he had good intention. He was delivering the message as uh, imperfectly as he could. And then at some point, I said, like, look, I, I just need to process. I, we don't have to talk anymore. I, I just need some time for myself. The first thing that happened, I was like, all emotions coming up. I, I just started to cry. I, I started to cry. I felt like I was shocked. I, I had to process. And and my brain was racing uh, really fast where I was thinking all the scenarios in my head already like, okay, who are the names? Uh, what if I uh, name those people? What's going to happen next? And then whatever scenario I would run in my head, nothing felt good. I, I, I just didn't have a solution. And so I uh, decided to share with some close friends and uh, cry, uh, kind of ask for help uh, and say, look, I'm in this situation. I feel terrible. I don't know what to do. You don't need to fix it for me, but I just need to share because I feel I feel awful right now. And just I had my uh, boyfriend who called me uh, during the evening and just to listen to me so I could share. I could uh, be like a coaching, you know, uh, he was like empathic, you know, yeah. to understand. He just had to listen. <laughs> so <laughs> He was not trying to fix it. And he's listening. And then I felt better. I had a terrible night of sleep where I said I... I don't have any solution. I tried to go to bed with this and my brain was still thinking. And at some point I fall asleep. I wake up in the morning. I managed to sleep, I don't know, four or five hours. And I was working on my presentation as well. That's uh, still the thing. So I was finishing it until 2, 3 a.m. <laughs> and then when I woke up in the morning, so there's, uh, you know, the uh, benefits of sleep uh, when the brain works uh, subconsciously. And I had the answer. And the answer was, I don't want to work in this environment anymore. It's like I the way the way it happened is like I I have no reasons to to stay after because uh, also to be explicit without go going in the detail of what was offered for me for um, naming uh, who would leave and what would happen for the team who would stay. We had very stretched goals to achieve for the ones who would stay, and if if we wouldn't achieve them, like in three months then we would also be all fired. So for me, whatever I could do, our time was counted, right? So then I was even asking myself, even if we make uh, it with a goal, with the people I decided to keep, do I still, do I have the energy? Do I have the desire to stay after all those challenges? And when the answer was no, I realized, well, 
I have, uh, I, I know now that I, I, this is not working for me. This, this way of uh, parting and, and downsizing teams is not working and uh, a lack, a big lack of transparency and information. And so I delivered the news first to uh, my leads and I said, okay, this is the situation in the morning. And I decided that I would put my name in the list of people who have to leave. Mm -hmm. And we had the conversation uh, with the leads where I said, I'll give you the options of what you would like to decide. I give you here all the facts, what will happen if you decide to stay or if you decide to leave. I'm not asking you anything here. It's like your decision. And the, all the leads follow me and we actually agreed together, staying true to our principle. But we wanted... Uh, put in priority first the rest of the team who maybe didn't have the luxury to find a job immediately, maybe didn't have the reputation or even the emotional security. You know, when you are younger in your career, everything feels more anxious. And yeah. I think when you prove yourself enough for in careers, like I'll be fine, I, I have unemployment money or, yeah. you know, I, I'll, I'll be fine. <laughs> we were fine as leads. We had more emotional security and we said we'll take the hit yeah. first and then we give more options for the rest of the team who were more junior than us, to at least take a step back and think of how they would want to use the time. But I asked everybody for the rest of the team, I communicated them our decision at least to leave first. So we would, so then we could uh, uh, fill out the whole pool of people to leave just by the leads and the most senior people. I made sure to uh, leave the rest of the team that would be able still to execute the goals because, of course, I didn't want to uh, dismantle the team to the point that nobody could help on the game. My argument with management in the end is like, look, you are looking to achieve stretch goals in the next three months. Uh, then here I have left for you in priority developers, artists, uh, designers, and the leads, the heads. We are not very useful at this point for a three-month goal. I want to clarify this because you, you said something in there. So... This message wasn't just, you have to lay off half your staff. It was, you have to lay off half your staff. There's a stretch goal for three months from now. And at that point, we will probably lay off the rest of your staff or, or we'll definitely lay off the rest of your staff. If we don't achieve a stretch goal. Ah, okay. oh, okay. So it was, we're going to lay off half your staff. Then we're going to give you a stretch goal. If you don't achieve that stretch goal, everybody's gone. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. I wanted to ask you, Sophie, as you describe this, there's very big but separate things that you're thinking through here and prioritizing. One of them you said was like, knowing that this is what the team is facing, how do I set the team up for as much success as I possibly can? And then there's another piece to it, and that includes things like, hey, well, maybe I don't need to be there. Like, I cost the company money. So if we can use that money better, it, it, it reduces the stress on those people who stay, right? Um, from a financial point of view. The second thing is, is you as a person. And I think the other, the third thing is, is the company and the success of the company or setting up the company for the highest amount of success possible. Juggling all three of those is really difficult, but there's, you when the one thing you talked about the least is like, the, this is a very personal decision, right? To step away from a job, especially a leadership role. And like, my experience with this is like, it's always way harder than it seems like it's going to be mm. because there's so much emotion wrapped up into it. You think that you're being logical about something, but then three days later, you realize that there's a lot of feelings there, right? <laughs> so what are the things that you considered as you were, because I mean, you're trying to think through all this stuff so quickly when you're thinking about what's best for you, what are the things that you're considering? 
because I think that might be very helpful for other leaders. So when I had to make the decision, I was getting, going back to my values, actually. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was just running through the scenario and it's helpful sometimes to make the decision of what you don't want to do. I ran the scenario, like I had to let go five people. So five people out of, we were 13, 14 people, six, I don't remember exactly the number, but uh, when I was like going through the scenario, like how do I imagine myself leading after I made this decision? And I just couldn't imagine like myself uh, checking, checking myself in the mirror where all the things I've defended so far, I just, you know, to keep my uh, position and my security, I would just have nominated people uh, to leave. When even myself, I wasn't sure that I wanted to stay in the long term, given the circumstances, right? So, because in the end, the decision would have been, I save time for myself and I keep security for myself and I keep a good uh, optic. And that will be the problem of other people. But I just couldn't imagine myself doing it. I, it was like very visceral, you know, and this is where yeah. I knew that's my limit. I I, yeah. I just can't do it. And it's not wrong. It's just, and I, I knew, I was thinking, how would I ha- ha- handle this situation differently? Would I be in the situation, not of my manager or the CEO? Of course, I haven't been. But there would have been so many other ways to communicate it. And I knew by intuition that it was just wrong the way it was handled. But um, mm. lack uh, of empathy, mm. it's a stretch by saying humanity. I was thinking of all the energy I put in the early days to really build the studio, making, trying to build a great image of what we are doing. I was really happy, being very proud, you know, like nothing, it, it was not perfect, like many places, but I was committed. And I, I felt like it was really uh, unfairly treated at the end where, okay, mm-hmm. you are just a number on a spreadsheet and that's... Right. Just to remind you who you are. And so I, I felt I gave just too much. And so yeah. I will give this energy somewhere else. So there's this idea of like being able to say, I'm leaving in a way that I'm proud of, like as a leader. I'm do, like I'm I'm honoring my own principles. Mm. What I, and, and related to that, there's not a way that you saw to stay that you were proud of. Yeah. Yes. In with the circumstances. And there and it also sounds like there was for you a breach of trust. There was an expectation you had for the company, Mm -hmm. for what you were trying to represent, the way you were presenting the brand and trying to be a positive representative of it. And in this moment with the way this was handled, it was a breach of, like you said, your values. And so suddenly you're struck with this question of, wait a minute, I'm working at a place where we have values misalignment. And, And by the way, you know, I think that's in small degree, that's normal. You're never going to find, unless if you found your own company, and even then, as soon as you start hiring other people, like values start shifting and things like that subtly. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between like, yeah, we're not all perfectly aligned around all the details. And no, there's a major problem about how we're treating our own people. And this feels non-empathetic. This feels um, done. I don't know. I think I think some people, when they are forced with this sort of decision, almost go, the best thing I can do is just be really logical and just like treat it like a bunch of numbers on a spreadsheet. And I think that's a, that's a coping mechanism to mm-hmm. get through a situation like this. But the outcome of it may be that they turn off their empathy. They turn off their care for other people. I don't I, I love though how you came back to that place of value and you said, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are my values? What's important to me? 
Yeah, and it was an interesting place where I had no, I had no plans after. I didn't know what would happen, but I just knew that I couldn't go forward with uh, what I was uh, asked. And uh, also the other thing is, um, Aaron, you were mentioning like when you have to leave actually a place. I, I was really attached personally to the studio I've built. Uh, we are vi very visible about the first game we launched, about our practices, and I, I thought this was something going for the long run, you know, like I didn't want to stop on that year. And so I really put energy to build also this crew, this super power team. And just the thought also of it being completely, we, we would not be together anymore, whatever I decide. Mm. But I could decide how we will not be together anymore. Mm. That was like very clear. So I think I had to process as well. The grieving uh, for me was uh, the loss of the team more than uh, leaving the company. It was Some, uh, like the studio I dreamed of building, you know, and then it was uh, it was not the place uh, anymore to uh, host it. And I, I missed a lot of the people and even like, like a few months now, we will never be again the team we used to be before because things happen. People had new opportunities, which is amazing, but we are going on a new page of our lives, you know, so it's uh, like, you know, when you leave school and you leave your schoolmates, it's a bit this feeling, it's a, uh, you know, bittersweet where yeah. uh, it's sad, but uh, it's for the best. It's just uh, the timing was not chosen from us. And for me, yeah, uh, that, that was really, I think that was the hardest part. I was really going through grief for the first uh, week's month. I, I couldn't accept. I was trying everything to rebuild the studio and so on. And at some point I decided to just take a, a break as well because I was just rushing, rushing to rebuild something that first I needed to take a step back and as well process where am I today? What do I want? And not just trying to uh, put together the broken pieces. It was it was really hard. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like as I hear you talk through this, And I'm musing a little bit, so I apologize. But the phrase act of courage comes up for me. There's something about like corporate battle and in the way that people are reacting emotionally. Because as I'm thinking through all of the circumstances I've ever been made aware of where layoffs are happening, these stories are littered with examples of where normally tough, focused leaders are like taking my hands off I, I refuse to engage with this, whether it's like doing like the office space thing where you bring in the consultants, like let them handle the layoffs, or it's like give it to one of your direct reports and let them deliver the bad news or like deliver the news in a way that's sort of disingenuous and like massages mm -hmm. it and tries to spin it into a positive thing. And so then everyone wakes up one day and realizes we're out of money because no one really warned us. Like there's so many... I feel like there's so many bad stories and maybe it's just because we don't hear about the good ones. But what interests me is that there's this like idea of like, this really hits people in their emotional core. And a lot of people do not stand up well against that like emotional assault. And it makes me respect you in this circumstance because you did have, there's something about you clearly where you had the ability to like call in your friends and meditate or whatever it is that you did in that moment where you're like, okay, what do I stand for? Like, that's where your mind went very quickly. Within 24 hours, you were asking yourself, like, what do I stand for? What's important? Yeah. And I feel like so many other leaders who encounter this go the opposite direction. How do I not engage with this? How do I not deal with this? How do I make it sound really nice? How do I get somebody else to do it for me? Like, 
I guess the question that I have is, is like, what is the difference there? And like, what do you have any advice for somebody that's in that situation so they could center themselves and do something that they were proud of? It's based also on my experience because I work also with a lot of uh, grooming of our leaders, you know, and the first thing uh, we work with, uh, on is, uh, and it's not a topic that goes a lot in workplaces, it's just like the connection with your own emotions. <laughs> you probably know mm -hmm. about that well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you talk about emotions at work, it's like people look at you it's like, oh, is this kind of a taboo word? Let's not talk about this. But it is, uh, you know, <laughs> we, we are, we have emotions whether we want to acknowledge them or not. And either we are, we are you know, the passenger of our car or we are in the driver's seat, right? That's uh, how I like to think, uh, think about it. And um, I do have the ability to understand my emotions and use them as a moral compass because something I learned also through also coaching session or even therapy conversations, emotions and triggers are here to signal us something is uh, wrong. You know, <laughs> something is off, like a boundary was crossed, you are angry, you are sad, you are upset, frustrated, whatever emotions. I'm talking here about negative emotions because they are the one most of the time suppressed. And having developed uh, this over the past years, I can feel it like when there's this fight or flight mode, it's like, where is this coming from? Instead of trying to, you know, shut it down, it's like, it's not important, it, it will pass. And here it's like, okay, I'm listening, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it. What is it? Where is it coming from? And when I, I could see this body tension and the, the uh, physical shock, I had a physical shock in my body, I was paralyzed, I... I didn't. I didn't know what to do. What you think? I, I realized this is something that is really healing me deeply for something that is really important for me. So I knew that was a signal. I had to look inwards, introspect. What is it? What is the boundary, like the uh, sacred boundary that is crossed mm -hmm. that I had? I couldn't verbalize uh, yet. Yeah. And for um, for what is missing, I would say. Uh, for many leaders, is that we process things with the head, and either it's it's happening we're frustrated, but uh, you know it's like like I said suppressed, and so in those moments it's kind of a pattern we use. You know, if I'm angry or upset, I will like you say discard, avoid. This is a typical strategy to deal with it or, you know, ignore, like it, it will, it will pass. And then you see people mm -hmm. going to burn out the hospital because suddenly a part of the body bro broke because, you know, it's like, there's how much you can handle stress in your body when it's not, you know, expressed and circulating properly. Yeah. So I think first emotion with yourself and then having the tool just to understand something is off, right? I love that. There's something, um, and I, and I want to actually get towards the next parts of the story because I'm really curious where this goes, but a couple of things that, that are really jumping up for me. So one is what you were just talking about. There's a self-awareness that you leaned into here, both about your own emotional state and then also recognizing that, oh, okay, I am, it's interesting. I think some people like back in my military days would have, the thought would have been like, I am compromised by my emotions. You know, I must, I must do, and instead it's very much, Okay, my emotions are informing me about something. And I think a phrase I've heard before, and I can't remember the woman who wrote the book, is emotions are always true. They're not always right. You know, mm -hmm. so sometimes the instant reaction may not be correct, but the emotion is always true. It's saying something, even if we might misunderstand it at first. And so there, you had the self-awareness around this is what I'm feeling right now. Second, and I think this one I kind of want to hit because 
there were values and principles that you had that you used to ground how you want to interact with the world, how you want to interact with the people you lead and the companies you have. That is actually not the most common place to be in. Many people haven't thought through their values and their principles. And I'm not going to tell you anybody what they should be. You have to work through that in life and figure that out based on your worldview and a bunch of stuff. But you had values and principles to stand back on. And when and they are for this moment. Like even in the Joachim podcast, we talked about this when a company has values and when we hit a point, we can fall back on the values when we get to those tough decisions and we can say, well, who do we want to be? And in an individual sense, you were doing that here. The third thing is your stance as a leader, and you you hit this and we sort of, you know, then kept going, but I want to call back to it. You were asking yourself, who do I want to be as a leader, according to my values and principles, recognizing and self-aware of what's going on for me right now in this broad situation. And your choice was, well, actually, as a leader, I realized that I'm very much able to find another job. And what I love about the orientation there is you didn't, a lot of leaders would have said, well, who's the least experienced person on the team or the newest member of the team or the least helpful member of the team? I guess those are the ones we have to get rid of. Mm. Those are the people we have to cut. It's just part of life, you know? And it's part of being, I think some people might have even said like, it's part of being a leader. You know, that's that's what we got to do, the hard decisions. And they would have almost taken solace and like, I'm making tough calls, but man, that means I'm a mature leader. But in this case, you said, look, I'm going to be okay. And one of my core jobs as a leader is to take care of my people. Also, this time horizon of three months, I love how like so many people love being the single point of failure. Or like every, everything revolves around them and they are so important because they do all the things. You also acknowledged that leaders are there for the long term. And I think that's, I, that's just a subtle piece of this that I thought was so beautiful was you like and your leads going, we're here for long-term. We're here because we want to have a successful team or company a year from now or two years from now. We're trying to set up the environment for this to be successful. But in three months, we're not like doing the work. Actually, the best way I can serve the company is to now get out of the way and let these people attempt to let my team or whoever's left execute as best they can towards the goal if they want to try to stay. I'm a long-term person. I'm a leader. And so anyway, I just I just wanted to call those out. Self-awareness, grounded in values and principles, stance as a leader looking to first help those you lead, and also stance as a leader recognizing that you're there for the long term. All of that, that was just that was just amazing. And I, I really like that about the story that you told. There's also one thing you mentioned that I think is like super, super important because I, I think you're the first leader I've ever spoken to that said this directly. But I, I agree so emphatically. And I think it's I'm, I find myself commonly frustrated with a lot of leaders in our industry. And I'm, I'll call us out. I think it's particularly a male quality that is negative, um, which is to basically say, if emotion enters the equation of a conversation, then we have failed somehow. Like we are we are some, the, the, the quality of the conversation is now degraded. But you just called out, I think, a very practical thing, which is like, if you're feeling a strong emotional reaction to something, it doesn't mean that you need to freak out or it doesn't mean that you need to yell at somebody. It doesn't mean that you need to respond to that emotion. But that emotion is a signal that you should pay attention to. And, and you had the self-respect to say, 
if I'm feeling something here this deeply, there's something important here for me. And I need to honor that. And, and, and this is the practical outcome, I think, of us assuming that when emotion comes into the equation, the conversation degrades. When you don't honor that, it's actually a form of self-disrespect, I think. And I think it actually inhibits us from having a values conversation. Because I think when you, like you can't turn everything in logical. Sometimes it is a values conversation and it comes down to values and values usually are associated with feelings, right? So I, I love that you said that because like, I think that that's a piece of advice that I would very strongly give to any leader in our industry. It's like, if you're having an emotional reaction to something that feels strong, like it feels like an existential crisis or it feels like a, the way you put it was a boundary being crossed, take a step back and really think about that. Because doing the right thing is more important than any job. It really is. Okay, so here you are. You're continuing to actually show up as a leader. You've talked to your leads and you've explained the situation. It sounded like you did that Thursday. Yes, all in one in the day. And after I did it, I was actually most serene to have my talk in the evening because I was thinking how I will like, be on stage to... Yeah. Talk about, uh, you know, other topics really important for the Rise and Play uh, platform. And then I was happy to solve, like, because first I wanted to share the information with my leads. Uh, am I, am I, you know, you start to doubt yourself, like you think you're, a, you, you know, you don't have a starting board. And then there were, we would do the same, Sophie, and we are all aligned here. And I felt supported, actually, in my decision. And that I felt very powerful from being very lonely the evening before to very supported and powerful. And I felt very confident when I delivered the news to uh, my manager. I think it was, I gave it a day and on Friday morning, I, I told him I delivered the news. What happened when you deliver? So, so you've now basically, you've picked the people and it's yourself, your leads um, are primarily the ones that will be leaving. And this is also, this is, I, I think your response even though trust was broken, still your respect for the company and your respect for the role that you were in, you were still like, okay, hey, you've made a call. You know, I'm, I don't agree, but I agree to do it. And so here's what you asked for. How did that go? So uh, I think my manager heard from other people before I could deliver to him. So he was uh, surprised. He told me he was surprised. He didn't expect that. But at the same time, he's like, I expected something that I couldn't expect from you. So at the same time, I'm not surprised, you know, so it's like that you wouldn't do things that I would expect of you. So in that sense, you are consistent. And I actually explained my reasoning that was uh, what would be benefit for him, right? Because this is where I, here I understand. I don't know what how it happened. I don't know the kind of conversation that he had with the CEO. So at this point, I didn't have any energy to do finger pointing, blaming anyone. You know, I just wanted to focus, okay, how do I, do we exit this properly? So I said, like, look, I understand your situation. You need to uh, come back to your manage the management and say, this happened, this was executed. Uh, it sounds horrible when I say it, but that's basically what he was asked for to uh, set up the execution plan. And I can tell you, yes, uh, without a wave, there will be five people leaving my team. Here are the names and the people who are uh, in place. They are qualified, very, very much qualified to execute the plan and the roadmap we have set for the next six months. And we have nothing to change here. But if we follow this plan, it will deliver 
the result that we were anyway going for, right? What happened, like they just stretched the goal of what we were going for already. But so there was no, not so many changes on our end. It was just coordinating, making sure like uh, the execution goes well. And that's, that's why I said like, here's the plan. Here are the people. They are yours now. It's, they are not like part of my team because I'm not, uh, I think so. I try at least to deliver it in the way that it is what you ask and it will help the business, right? And like you said, Ben, yes, we are also uh, expensive in the overhead. So if that helps and that saves uh, the seats for some people who need it more. And uh, I wanted to mention as well, in our team, we have people from different countries who need paper in Germany to and a job in Germany to live. So like I said, like I... I am privileged to be French and I don't have a job I can say like this for, you know, <laughs> several years. I, I won't, my, my uh, residence won't be compromised. But for others, it's much more stressful. And we factor that in as well when we made the decision uh, not to, of course, keep people only because they have a paper situation, but everyone was uh, very competent in the team, so equally very competent. And when we factor on top of that a personal situation, one going through a divorce, you know, life, then we sat down with the lead and we thought, who needs the job the most right now? And they stay in priority when we uh, compare everyone equally uh, based on the skills. So, okay, so you go, you tell your manager. Your manager says... I kind of expected something unexpected from you. Um, that should so be on your resume. Yeah, Sophie Bo, <laughs> expect the unexpected. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And now you know that, like, uh, come Monday, right? Basically, the next working day, you will no longer be working at this company. Did anything else happen in between those two times, or was it just like, okay, cool, you gave me the names, and I guess we're going? Did the manager try to convince you of a different approach? Was there? Anything like that? Or was it just like, all right, I guess that's it? Uh, it's exactly like you described. I, it was very, very uh, straightforward. I felt that I switched my brain. So I, I felt really engaged in the past where I felt like this would be a bit more human. But here it was down to business. So I went, once I decided of uh, what I wanted to do with the people who would live first, I switched my mindset to business. This is just a business conversation. And that's how my manager, I guess, appreciated it. And it's like, okay, well, not yet. Well, good luck with everything. And I'm sure our, you know, uh, uh, path will cross again. And that was kind of the last conversation I had with him ever since then. It's been two, two three months and three months. And I, I didn't talk to anybody else after in the company. Oh, there wasn't even an exit conversation? No. Like an exit interview? No. Wow. Did you talk to your team after that? Yeah, with the team, we continue to meet. We're in Berlin. We we have our uh, WhatsApp group. So it was like a new chapter. And it was a lot of a support group where we had dinners together. And, you know, we this uh, life inside the team continued. And I think that's what uh, soothed me to know that the team spirit would continue even without being together in the company. Mm-hmm. But the separation with the company was very cold, I have to say. And... It is not how I wanted it to be, of course, but uh, it's like uh, back to what you said, Aaron, maybe it's so uncomfortable. Nobody wants to look at it and, you know, it's done. It's like, move on, move on. But, you know, people remember. And that, that's uh, being on the side of uh, people who are uh, living. Because, again, I didn't choose to stop my studio. I would have continued. I would have wished to continue. The trauma, I think, is much bigger for people who are living 
on an indesirable way and timing. And the ones who have yeah. to, uh, so they can continue with their lives. You know, they have a job, nothing changes. But would they have just one more conversation, set one hour yeah. to have this conversation, give more transparency or give more time, whatever. This would have a, such a different impact for the people who are impacted by those decisions. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to say about that situation before I do kind of ask some pointed questions that, you know, that are on my mind around this? There's a million ways to view anything. So I want to attack it from some of those angles. Not that I could think of uh, at the moment. I think we have covered quite a lot of it. And I do want to actually play the part, you know, of uh, always thinking, you know, from the other side. It's like something I'm very thoughtful about because, of course, my experience is my experience and it doesn't make it wrong or better than others, but it's true because it's mine. But I know that uh, there are other experiences and it's good to understand those for the ones on the other end. This wraps up part one of our interview with Sophie Vo. In part two, we'll dive into the decisions she made, take a look at it from different angles, and offer some advice for you if you end up in a similar situation. In this episode, Sophie Vo walked us through her response to learning about layoffs and being told she needed to fire people from her team. We talked about the importance of having values and principles to fall back on, and look at how she honored her own values while also respecting the companies she worked for and those she led. Part two will be coming out soon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, please review and rate our podcast or reach out to us and let us know at buildingbettergamespodcast.com. Until next time.